It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to our fifth and final session in Becoming a Bravehearted Woman, the Daily Thunder series. I hope you've been enjoying these biblical truths that we can apply to femininity. No matter what our situation or stage of life, this truth can transform us and our perspective on what God wants to do through us as women living in such a time as this. So we talked about brave-hearted womanhood and becoming a woman of valor and how that Proverbs 31 vision is not like a standard we're trying to rise up to in our own strength. It's really a promise, a vision that God has given us of what is possible when we get out of the way and allow his grace, his power to enable us. And we've been going through the four qualities of brave-hearted womanhood. And the, the one that we're going to cover today is how to be a poured out woman. Now, the whole concept of being outward focused and sacrificial and pouring out our lives is not something that's very encouraged or applauded in the culture and definitely even not in the church today. I was invited to speak at a a women's Christian gathering a couple of years ago, and they had asked me to do a session on the power of a poured out life. And one of the women who read the bulletin or the program about what I was going to be speaking on got all upset. She didn't even know what I was going to share, just that phrase, living a poured out life, really bothered her. And she said, you know, why would you invite in a speaker who's going to just make all of us women feel like we need to be giving more and doing more? We're already feeling so stressed out about our lives. And I understand where that mentality comes from, because when you look at being poured out as something you have to do, it's like, oh, I just have to give more and do more and be more, you know, prove that I'm more surrendered and sacrificial and godly, and I have to somehow do that in my own strength. Of course, that's exhausting. And a lot of us as women carry a lot on our plate, and we already feel stretched very thin. So this idea of living a poured out life could just feel like another burden. But yet I want to cast a vision of the biblical understanding of being poured out for the glory of God, because it's very different than just sort of trying to do all these good deeds in our own strength. Really being poured out is a willingness to sacrifice and suffer for the glory of God, not protecting our own comforts, but a willingness to say, Lord, I am completely available to you. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. And whatever that means, we have that hard attitude. That mean that might mean just something as simple as I'm willing to go the extra mile in serving my family. I'm willing to put my own comforts and desires aside to do something that I know that God has called me to do. I'm willing to put my own selfish agenda aside so that I can spend time every day sitting at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't have to always be these big epic things like starting an orphanage overseas or going and being this missionary that changes the world for Christ because those simple steps of willingness to say, yes, Lord, I'm putting selfish agenda aside and saying yes to you equates to this beautiful poured out life that he has called us to live that will impact others for the glory of God. And you may not always see the fruit of that impact. You may not even see it this side of heaven. But when you have that selfless outward attitude, that availability to God, it will impact this world. So the key question that I'd like us to grapple with as we talk about living a poured out life is are we looking to serve or to be served? To really be a brave-hearted woman, we need to be joyfully willing to pour our lives out for others rather than expecting to always be served. It, It becomes our greatest delight to be the servant of all as Jesus demonstrated for us in his earthly life. He says, I have 
I have given you an example. I have washed your feet. I have served you. Now I want you to follow in my footsteps. Now the modern idea that often hits us as women is don't just meet everyone else's needs. Take care of you. Take care of yourself. There is a part truth in this. It is important to tend to our own needs. But a lot of times we take this idea to an unhealthy level and we protect self-interest above everything else. Sometimes even viewing things like marriage and family and ministry is a way to make us happy rather than an opportunity to selflessly serve and give to those that God has placed in our lives. 1 Timothy 5.10 is, is painting a picture of godly womanhood here, and it says she's well reported for good work. She has brought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, and diligently followed every good work. Now this is, again, very similar to the pattern we see in Proverbs 31, which is not something we can rise up to in our own strength. If you look at this list and you think, okay, somehow I have to check all these things off and I have to figure out a way to do all these things in my own strength with my own wisdom, of course you're going to get burned out and exhausted. But if you say, okay, Lord, you have, you have God assignments for me. Obviously from this list, I see that you have an incredible opportunity that you have already designed for me so that I can proclaim your glory and be your hands and feet to this lost and dying world. Show me what your specific assignments are for me today. And when you have that attitude, you begin to fulfill this scripture without having to muster up the strength to somehow rise up to be a godly woman. But we need to realize, as we see all throughout scripture, is that outward living, being poured out, being outward, being selfless, being sacrificial, is not an optional part of godly womanhood. It's not an optional part of the Christian life, for that matter. It says in 1 Timothy 5, six, that she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. If we spend our lives pursuing our own selfish pleasure, we are spiritually dead. So the key question is this, are we willing to suffer for Christ? Brave-hearted women in history are those who not only suffered willingly for Christ, but they counted it a privilege to do so. Women who understand the narrow path of the cross, that the Christian life is not meant to be easy, will be soldiers, good soldiers of the cross, no matter what life brings. This is really such a key aspect to brave-hearted womanhood. And really, it's this thrilling adventure that God has called us to live. It's not something that we need to look at as a duty or an obligation. It's such a privilege to be the hands and the feet of, of Christ to this lost and dying world. Betty Scott Stam was a missionary in China who actually gave up her life as a martyr early in her missionary journey. And when she was 19 years old, she wrote these words in her journal, Lord, Use my life, take my life, spend my life however you will at any cost. And those words actually greatly impacted Elizabeth Elliot, who also sacrificially gave on the mission field. Esther On Kim, who was, who was a young Korean woman who stood up for the glory of God in a time when Christians were being persecuted for their faith, and she, was, she actually chose prison over a life of ease so that she could proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in the midst of a great darkness. And she, she was so amazingly privileged that she was counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. And that story really baffled me. When I first read her story, I, it stood out to me that she was willing to take a strong stand. All, the other, all her other Christian peers were forced to bow at the, shrine, at the shrine of a Japanese idol, and she was the only one who stood up refusing to bow. And that was astounding in and of itself. And then she was on the run being hunted by the Japanese government uh, for taking that stand. And then she finally had the opportunity to come under the protection of a retired Japanese general 
And he said, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to go to prison. I'll protect you. And she said, no, I need to suffer for the glory of God because if I go in there and suffer alongside my Christian brothers and sisters, I can be the hands and feet of Christ to them. So she actually chose a more difficult way. And what a powerful, powerful testimony she had as a result. Darlene Dibler was an American missionary who was overseas. She was in New Guinea during the Second World War, and the Japanese took over her island. She suffered tremendously. She lost her husband, and she was diseased, and she was put on death row, and her life was threatened so many times. And her her attitude was one of just constant availability to God. It didn't mean it wasn't difficult what she went through, but her attitude of surrender and just joy and willingness to suffer was so impactful to me when I read her story. We've already talked about Sabina Wormbrandt, how she encouraged her husband to stand in the midst of all of these lies, even though she knew it was going to be something that would cause her to suffer if she encouraged her husband to stand for the glory of God. And Elizabeth Elliot, when she, when she heard that her husband Jim had given his life on the mission field as a martyr, she immediately surrendered her married life, her hopes and dreams, back to Jesus Christ. She knew it was safe to entrust her heart back to him. So all of these women had this incredible attitude towards suffering, which wasn't a, oh, I need to self-protect, I need to avoid suffering at all costs. They willingly embraced suffering because they knew it was a key part of their calling and they knew it was a privilege to suffer alongside Jesus Christ or to suffer for his namesake. In Acts 5, 40 through 41, talking about the apostles who were treated very, very badly by the religious leaders, leaders, and they were beat, beaten and mocked and persecuted. And instead of licking their wounds as they came out of that situation, it said that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his sake. When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not go and, and, and speak anymore in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they were really treated badly, probably hurt and bleeding and wounded, and yet they, they were just focused on how privileged they were to suffer shame for the glory of God. And in Philippians 1.29, it says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's granted as a privilege or an opportunity. So it's a complete mentality shift on willingness to suffer and sacrifice for the glory of God. So I want to go through practical ways to become willing to live that poured out life, that willingness to suffer and sacrifice, because it's not something that comes naturally to us. Here's the key truth. We need to walk away from messages that that encourage us to serve ourselves and go easy on ourselves and put ourselves first. Those ideas may sound good on social media or in trendy books, but they won't shape us into brave-hearted women for the glory of God. So ask God to give you his burden for the lost, for the lost and dying world. Because once you catch a vision of working alongside him, of being his hands and his feet to the lost and dying world all around us, it, you, you get this whole new vision for your life and where your life can go. C.T. Studd's father, C.T. Studd was an amazing missionary who made an incredible impact all over the world. He was a famous cricket player. He was a very wealthy man. And when he gave up, when he became a Christian, he gave up all of those things, fame and fortune, to follow God. But it started with C.T. Studd's father who gave his life to Christ when C.T. was growing up. And he heard the teaching of D.L. Moody and he was moved and he wanted to give his life to Christ. But his life had revolved around theater and playing cards and parties and all these shallow things. And he asked D.L. Moody, do I have to give these things up when I give my life to Christ? And Moody said this to him, you are now a saved man and you want to get others saved. God will give you some souls and his 
as soon as you have one soul one, you won't care about any of those other things. Isn't that interesting? So sure enough, to the astonishment of his children and many others, C.T. Studd's father didn't care about those shallow things any longer. He only cared about one thing, and that was the saving of souls. Once you catch the vision for building the kingdom of God, you're not concerned with what you're giving up. You're so amazed that you have the privilege of building the kingdom of God. Catherine Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army along with William Booth, really poured out her life for the poor and the least, and she encouraged Christian women in her day to get out of the, just the shallow preoccupations and distractions of that time and begin pouring their lives out for the destitute. She said it will be a happy day for England when Christian ladies transfer their attention from poodles and terriers to destitute and dying children. Now, in our day, we may not be distracted by card playing, going to the theater and dog breeding and terriers and poodles, but often we are consumed with frivolous things. Our phones are in our faces all day long. We're consumed with Hollywood and pop culture and social media. But when we start to adopt the burdens of God, the burdens for the weak and the lost and the vulnerable, it completely changes our focus. Eric and I had kind of a, an awakening to this quite a number of years ago when we started to look into the orphan crisis. We had heard that, you know, maybe there were 2 million orphans in the world, and then we heard 20 million orphans in the world. And those numbers sounded staggering to us. But then as we really began to look into it, we began to recognize there were 143 million or more orphans in the world. These are children around the world without advocates, without anyone to stand for them. And we asked God to give us his burden for the vulnerable. And God's answer to us was start with one. And that sounded so small to us, but he wanted us to gain his heart for the individual lives, not just a big number like 143 million. And that's what led to the adoption of our first child, Harper, who is now 14, and several adoptions after that. We began to recognize that our Christian life couldn't just be about speaking truth. We had to live out that willingness to say, Lord, I'm your hands and your feet. And even I have, I have to get out of my comfort zone to make myself sacrificially available to you. This is a privilege and an honor. And I will say that every time we have made that decision to get out of our comfort zone and say yes to that willingness to say, I'm going to live a poured out life for you, it has always been so deeply rewarding and fulfilling. It's never been a duty or an obligation. We need to learn how to embrace our God-given call. And that means we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and win lost souls and be his hands and his feet to the lost. And so often we think, well, I'm not called to that. I'm called to a more predictable and comfortable life. And I love what William Booth said in this quote because it kind of puts all of our excuses to rest. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. We really can't hide behind this excuse that says, I'm not called, when we recognize that this is the calling of every single Christian. Now, that may look different for you than it does for me or for this person than it does for the next person. The people you are called to reach for the glory of God might be right outside your front door. They might be right in your own family. None of us are called, though, to live a self-focused existence. We are all called to be outward and to be very proactive in building the kingdom of God, whatever that means for us in the unique season of life that we're in.
So begin living a poured out life. This is what I challenge you to do. Even if you already feel like you're stretched really thin and you can't handle anymore, are you really making yourself available to God? I've read of different women in my life, in my past or in history who wake up every morning saying, Lord, how can I bring your glory to those around me today? How, who am I called to serve and minister to, to, to today? It might just be as simple as sharing a scripture, sharing a smile, sharing a kind word, but how can we be a catalyst for the love of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, every single day of our lives? And we'll find that a, a lot of strength flows into our life as, as we make ourselves available to him. When we do this, not in our own strength, but in his strength, we don't become more depleted. We become energized. In fact, I recently was talking to some family members and Eric's grandmother, who was who died before he ever even had a chance to meet her, when she was in her kind of child-raising years, and anytime she would have a bad day, or she'd kind of be down and depressed. She would say, okay, I'm going to go out and find somebody who is worse off than me and pour my life out for them and serve them, whether it was taking them a meal or just encouraging them, laughing with them, cheering them up. And every single time she did that, she turned outward. It lifted her spirits. It lifted her out of the depression or the frustration that she was walking through. And that story really made an impact on me. So it could be family. It could be neighbors. It could be needy or elderly or refugees in your own community. It could be praying for the persecuted church, opening your home to foster children. And even if you are a mom raising children and you think, well, I'm busy homeschooling, I'm busy raising my own children, bring your children along on this journey of living a poured out life because as they catch a vision of how God can work through them to bless other people, it just completely expands their understanding of Christianity and the unique call that God has placed on their lives and how to go from living a, just a self-protected, self-focused existence to an available outward existence. Of course, you still need to protect family time. This is not to sweep aside your responsibilities as a homemaker and a wife. That's very valuable in the sight of God. But this is something that can be done as a family. I, I've studied so many women's lives through history, and I know modern women who do just this beautiful job of being excellent wives and mothers and homemakers, but then bringing their children along with them on this journey to also turn outward as a family. So pray about what that looks like for you in your season of life. And sometimes it's simply prayer. Learning how to pray not just for your own needs, but pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the vulnerable. Pray for the unsaved and do that as a family. That can be your first step towards turning outward. Also, study the sufferings of Christ. He gave everything for us. And the question we always have to come back to is, Lord, Am I willing to give you everything in return? I remember one time listening to audio scripture, and it was stuck on the scene of the crucifixion. And after about the third day of hearing the story of what Jesus did, how he sacrificed for me, the whole thing just kind of hit me at a, such a deeper level. And I recognized, wow, Lord, no sacrifice on my part would be too great to give to the one who gave everything for me. What God did for us in sending his own son was extreme, and it was unnecessary. He didn't have to send his own son. He chose to. And I think a lot of times we look at that poured out life as thinking, well, that's extreme. That's unnecessary. I don't need to live that way. But what God did for us was extreme and unnecessary. So are we willing to do the same for him and for his glory? Another really important practical is to gain an eternal focus. Let's remember what we're really living for, what's really going to last in light of eternity 
eternity. This world is not our home, so let's not fritter our lives away on meaningless, shallow things that just eat up our time and will not last for eternity. So ask God to show you how you can shift things in your life that maybe have a temporal focus to more of an eternal focus. That doesn't mean that it's always wrong to do things that are relaxing or fun, but if your whole life is built around just things that are temporal, social media and entertainment and social activities and things that are very shallow, it says in the Bible that when we live for pleasure, we're dead while we live. When we start to build our lives around eternal things, that's when we really start to live. So I remember reading about C.T. Studd when they were first going onto the mission, when he and his wife were first going onto the mission field. He said, do you want me to give up all this money to all these other missions and just rely on the glory of God? And she said, yes, I want to give up everything because he gave up everything for us. And I thought, wow, to start out your marriage with that mentality, not self-protecting, but outward and giving and pouring everything out, it truly requires the grace of God. And as a result, they were one of the most powerful ministry couples that I've ever read about. Here's a quote from Gladys Aylward, something that she spoke at the end of her life, and I thought it was so well-spoken as far as this vision of a poured-out life and the fulfillment that that attitude can lead to when it's done in the strength of God. She said, I have not done what I wanted to. I have not eaten what I wanted to or worn what I would have chosen. I have not lived in a house that I would have looked at twice. I have longed for a husband and babies and security and love. God didn't give that. He left me alone for 17 years with one book, a Chinese Bible. I don't know anything about your latest novels or pictures or theaters. I live in a rather outdated world. And I suppose you say, well, that's awful miserable, isn't it? Friends, I've been one of the happiest women that has ever stepped this earth. I have raised someone else's children whom I loved with a great love because Jesus Christ loved me and who I'm now receiving love back from. Lord, give us freedom, freedom in thee, that you might be able to pick us up and put us down and use us when and where and how you like, that someone may know how much you love them. Wow, that is so powerful. She did not pursue the things that she wanted. She pursued the things God called her to. And she said, I have been one of the happiest women that has ever stepped this earth. It's a little known secret to true happiness. Pour your life out for the glory of God. Is that the same kind of surrender that you have, that I have? Those quotes always challenge me at the deepest level because this isn't something that you just agree with one day and move on with your life. This is something we need to come to every single day, taking up that cross daily and pursuing him. That is the foundation of brave-hearted womanhood. So here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you about embracing brave-hearted womanhood. And we've only scratched the surface in this little mini Daily Thunder series. So if you're a woman and wanting to go deeper in this, you can go to my website, setapartgirl.com, and there's a lot more resources and courses to take these truths deeper. But a few final thoughts to begin applying this to our daily lives. This can be an intense and challenging message. It's not the self-coddling message that we're used to hearing, even at a lot of women's conferences and a lot of Christian books today. And condemnation and discouragement is what the enemy tries to hit us with. He tries to distract us from the beautiful truths that are in the word of God by saying, oh, you've blown it, you've messed up, You're, you can never rise up to this, there's impossible, you don't want this kind of a life. Don't play the enemy's game because the truth of God always sets free. I want to encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah. This is something that really helped me in understanding the strength that God wanted to give me. As the enemy's lies hit me, 
I begin to respond with God's truth. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. The enemy came against him trying to discourage him, confuse him, distract him from going forward with God. And he constantly referred back to truth and would refuse to back down. He stood his ground in the strength of God. And it says in Nehemiah 4.15 that that attitude was triumphant over the enemy. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. All of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. That is what will happen in our own lives when we stand our ground, push the enemy back, refuse to listen to the enemy's lies. The enemy will realize we're serious about going forward with God and he will back off and we will win the victory through the power of the name of Jesus. So remember Goliath's boasting against David. His greatest threats against David were spoken just minutes before he fell to the ground defeated. Sometimes the enemy gets very loud right when the victory is about to be given to us. So don't listen to the enemy's lies of condemnation or discouragement or hopelessness or defeat or when he tries to put a a blur of depression over this message of surrender. This is the most powerful, fulfilling life you could ever choose. So I want to challenge you to ask yourself or ask God to show you what are the battles he's asking you to sprint towards today. In the first session, we talked about David sprinting toward the battle, going towards his greatest danger, his greatest challenge with liquid ferocity. Again, only possible by the enabling grace of God. But we each have battles that God is asking us to sprint towards today. It might be accepting a task or an assignment that intimidates you, but you know God is calling calling you to it. Are you willing to sprint towards that battle in the grace of God? Maybe it's choosing to stand firmly in faith for a financial or a physical need in your life, to continue to hold your ground spiritually, knowing that God will be faithful. Maybe it's aggressively fighting for the salvation of a soul that God has placed in your life. Maybe it's choosing to conquer strongholds in your life, like fear or unforgiveness through the enabling power of God. Maybe it's joyfully embracing a challenging circumstance and trusting that God will gloriously triumph through it. Whatever difficulties you have been shrinking back from, ask God to infuse you with a brave-hearted spirit, one that will cause you to sprint toward the battle with liquid ferocity, with absolute confidence in your mighty and faithful God. I think about how Catherine Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army all those generations ago, and she encouraged one of her daughters who was struggling with some sort of just difficulty and wanting to kind of give into self-pity and discouragement and depression. She said, don't give way to lowness while you are young. Rise up on the strength of God and resolve to conquer. And that's what Bravehearted Womanhood is all about. Let's finish with this amazing quote from James Gilmore of Mongolia, because I think this really puts everything into perspective. It's not about us. It's about his power working through us. Cannot the, thing, cannot the same wonders be done now as of old? Do not the eyes of the Lord still run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who trust him? Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah to call on him. He is waiting for you and me to call on him, and he is ready to show himself strong on behalf of us when we trust him. Bravehearted womanhood is not a lofty, unattainable calling only for special Christians. It's a promise. It's a vision. It's something he can equip us for. It's available to us because we are in Christ. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. 
Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.